Do you want to do more to make impact? How we serve others and our world is how we pay our rent for being here. So get ready to learn how you can make a difference by simply choosing to live and lead with a socially conscious mindset. In this episode of Passion for Impact, I'm speaking with Marty Park from Evolve Business Group. As a business owner, Marty actively looks for ways for his core business to support initiatives in the community and globally that positively impact other entrepreneurs, families, and communities. Now, I recently joined forces with Marty as a business coach with Evolve Business Group. Their core values and focus on extraordinary client service really resonated with me. I'm super excited. I'm honored to be a part of their great team. And what I really love is that now when I'm working with a business owner, as a reflection of the unique Evolve coaching model, I can now offer you time and support with the entire team, not just me. Isn't that cool? If you need social media guidance, marketing, or even HR support, you can get that help when working with myself and Evolve. So for more information, go to evolvebusinessgroup.com and check it out there. I even have my own page on the website. Very exciting. So with all of that aside, one of the main reasons I wanted to have Marty on the show is that he is so incredible with teaching people how to sell. It's not a skill that comes easy for many of us, myself included. And in order to make impact, we need to be able to sell our mission, partnerships and projects. But selling can get a bad rap. And often as impact makers, we become so immersed in our cause that we can forget or not pay enough attention to the art of selling. Well, let's demystify it. Get ready to grow your sales and your skills from a heart-centered, really cool guy named Marty Park. Take lots of notes. Let's do it. This is the Passion for Impact podcast with speaker, trainer, and socially conscious advocate, Trisha Miltimore. Thank you for joining in. This is the Passion for Impact podcast, where we have one clear goal to educate, empower, and elevate social consciousness in people, business, and teams. Be sure to subscribe to receive links to featured companies, people, and offers. Very simple. Go to www.passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast. Okay, my guest today is a lifelong serial entrepreneur who has owned and operated 13 companies in various industries. As an award-winning business coach and a powerful sales trainer, Marty believes that to grow your business, you must grow and improve the people within it. He blends his business experience with practical insights learned as a business coach and consultant in his recent book, Tiger by the Tail. Now, I love his book. I consumed it first in audio, then in paperback. It's practical, it's easy to read, and it's just full of amazing tips for being a better entrepreneur and an impact maker. I highly recommend this book. It's easy to read. Let's get to our conversation around the art of selling. Welcome to the show, Marty. Thanks for being here. Tricia, it is so nice to spend some time with you. I know I'm excited about this because I think that selling is one of those skills that can often kind of be put on the shelf, especially for really busy entrepreneurs who are impact makers and so focused on the cause. So before we kind of get into the, all the art of selling stuff, let's, I want people to get, kind of get an understanding of you a little bit. Marty, tell us all about you. All about me. Wow. Where do I begin? <laughs> um, so as you mentioned, I mean, I've, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I started my first company at 21 with a buddy of mine. We both dropped out of university. 
figured we would be retired in six months. So, you know, no need to worry. <laughs> and of course, after six months had maxed credit cards, paid ourselves nothing and realized, wow, this business thing is a lot more complicated than I thought. Um, maybe this is why everybody in business isn't millionaires. Uh, and so, but that actually learning about business at a really young age allowed me to, you know, when a lot of people were still just their biggest obligation was making rent, I all of a sudden had payroll for a dozen people. And so it gave me perspective on just uh, learning uh, the, the importance of learning about all the moving pieces of business. Um, and as I think as I become a master or a real and, and a student of all the working pieces of business, inevitably, at some point, you kind of step back and start to go, hey, what am I doing all this for? And uh, that leads me to, you know, the most important thing I would say the drumbeat of a company is selling because it's, if you don't sell anything, then the company doesn't work period in, in any industry, everything runs off sales. But I also like the idea that if sales is at the front end of things, the back end of things is where you start to think about impact. You start to think about community, the ecosystem you have of customers, of vendors, of, uh, just your, you know, your employees and all of their families. And so I'm a big believer that a business, it really is a whole ecosystem that you're taking care of as a business owner. And so uh, one of the reasons I'm passionate about selling is because selling leads into ensuring that ecosystem you've built and you support really stays alive and stays healthy. Mm, and I, the, the more success, the more you can actually make impact. And sales is such a big part of that. And you talk about in your book, The Tiger by the Tail, I, about the idea of leadership selling. And I thought that was really interesting and in, in how it was framed. Tell me more about, tell us all about leadership selling and how that could apply to impact makers. Yeah, actually, you know, I would even step back from that, Trisha, and just say for impact makers, I think one of the things when you want to make impact and have an effect on people or communities or any specific, specific group, that oftentimes people are being led by heart. Right, that you, you want to make sure your effort is doing something that there's good in it or there's effect or impact. And that oftentimes people completely disassociate selling with that. Like, you know, if my heart's in it and I'm operating from a good place, then like that's one end of the paradigm. And the other end of the paradigm is selling. And so mm. I like the idea that I'm a big fan of selling needs to come from a really good place that it has to be, you have to be, most people, when I talk to them about, do you like your product or service? Do you believe it's having a good impact? Most people go, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I love my product or service. Um, and so they often believe in it. And as soon as I say, okay, now let's talk about selling it. They're like, oh, and that all of those like greasy, pushy, high pressure kind of tactics we think about with sales, when we think of that sort of the used car salesman, um, no offense to used car salesmen listening, uh, but that, yeah, that that's where selling has to be. And so leadership selling for me was the extension of starting to realize if we change the language around selling and instead of showing up like the, the sleazy salesperson or trying to show up desperately not being the sleazy salesperson, what if I asked you to show up to every conversation about your product or service or your business and just be a leader in that conversation? And start to use verbs like, I want you to guide the conversation. I want you to lead people through a buying process. I want you to help them. All of a sudden, as soon as you replace the word sell with help, like, you know, I help people with this product or service. It resonates with most people. And I found that um, whether it's not for profit, impact, uh, just somebody in a for-profit business who just really, really believe in their product or service as being a benefit to the audience, that as soon as they can think about it as 
you're right. I'm going to be a leader here. I'm going to use my voice. I'm going to represent this product with enthusiasm. Leadership selling is just this idea of changing your persona or your identity. And then it completely changes how you show up to every conversation and inevitably then changes the sales results you get because you're no longer worried about selling something, but simply looking to say, I can help people or a community or a group through this product or service that I really love. Hmm, I love that because it's just a completely different feel. So if people are embracing that and they're like, okay, this is how I'm going to approach selling. Um, what are some of the, like, I guess the friction points or the sticky points where they get kind of hung up and, and lose momentum? Yeah, actually, you know what? That's a great question because it, it's, and I always like the idea, and you know this, that it's easy intellectually to get something. Mm-hmm. And then you start to do it and you're like, okay, this isn't really working. I often joke with people like, listen, intellectually, I know how to be a dentist, but you really don't want me leaning in with a drill on your teeth, mm-hmm. right? I, I know intellectually it makes sense to me, but probably not practically. From a, from a selling perspective, I, one of the first things I say to people is start to change the language you use. Because most of us, as soon as I talk to anybody about a selling a methodology or a process, Um, They often go back to the old thing Well, you do your presentation and then you overcome objections and then you try to close them and then you get the contract and even everything in that language to me is adversarial, right? So it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to somehow corner you, like physically corner you and be like, all right, Tricia, you're going to sign this now, right? Uh, And, and, or that you're going to say, well, I'm not sure if this fits, if I have the budget for this. And then I'm going to try to convince you or manipulate you that you do. And so I find a lot of old school language is a starting point. Because if I can say to people, listen, instead of selling, why don't we try and help people? Instead of overcoming objections, why don't we just share a different perspective? Instead of closing somebody, why don't we you know, help them make a decision? Why don't we? And so as soon as you start to change the language, though, it's like, well, I don't want to close anybody. Okay, well, this whole myth of like, again, that you somehow brainwashed them into picking up a pen and signing an agreement is sort of a, uh, a falsehood. But per- people feel like that. But as soon as I say, what if I just ask you to help me make a decision? Oh, I'd be okay with that. Okay, well, that's called closing. So <laughs> as soon as I move the language over, that's my starting point. And I think it's um, as soon as I come from this place of help, or when I say as a leader, you should know what the steps are. So often... You know, if you and I went in to buy a brand new product out on the market, we probably wouldn't have much of an experience as to how to buy it. And so we both know how to go into a Starbucks and get a coffee because most of us have done that. But the first time, if we, I don't know, came from another planet, went into Starbucks and we were like, what are these people all doing? It looks like maybe there's a queue here or a line. And then what are they? Oh, and then they finish there. They talk to that person and they go over there. It would all be foreign and you wouldn't know how to order a coffee. So I like the idea that for most people that are buying our product or service, it's their first time. And then we take this silly idea that, you know what, I'm just going to hand over all control because you're the customer. You should know. The customer is always right. (laughs) And the person is now blind. They're like, I don't really know how to buy this product. And the salesperson's like, you know, I I don't want to be pushy. So I'll just stand back and let you fumble through it. And so my take on leadership selling is that, listen, if you develop a little bit of a step-by-step methodology that is easy, cooperative, helpful. It guides people through sort of some of the decision points that if you can just be lead them through that, like the next thing we're going to talk about, Trish, is this. And after that, let's make a decision on color. And the next thing we're going to do, 
that people will follow that leadership and actually really, really appreciate it. Uh, and it makes, again, all of a sudden now they appreciate it. You feel that cooperativeness. All of a sudden people come around and go, you know, this selling like this doesn't even feel like selling. I was like, well, it's not. It's again, helping people through your product or service. And I just love when somebody has been fearful of sales for ages. And particularly when they have something where they, you know, a product or service that they really feel can be impacting and they haven't taken it out into the marketplace or haven't sort of stood on their soapbox because they're worried about being a salesperson, a salesman, a saleswoman. And all of a sudden they go, oh, well, I would love as a leader to be able to share my story and help people and just walk them through steps. This feels great. And subsequently, again, gets way better results. And I, then that's where I think people often flourish in sales is when they overcome that stigma and realize, okay, there's this story of the high pressure salesperson, but that's not the way I'm going to do it. So I like the idea that people are, um, or I guess that reflection a little bit shy to get on their soapbox because they fear they're going to come across that way. For the people that you're you're coaching, you're saying, okay, get on your soapbox, share your story, share, be take that leadership selling approach. Uh, what what kind of tips do you have for that moment when you you do need to ask for the sale because sometimes that's a required piece. Would you say it is a required piece or would you say that's not necessary? So, yeah, it's a little bit, again, I think of it as guidance because mm -hmm. people don't know whether they should put up their hand and be like, I want this, or if there's a form to fill out. So uh -huh. oftentimes the, the support or the feedback you get from people is really subtle. Like, you know, Trisha, this looks really good. Oh, Trisha, this is exciting. Oh, that's so interesting. Wow. I would, you know, this is something I could see really working for me. Mm -hmm. Nobody says, I want to buy this. And so I find that if you are sitting with somebody though, and you are able to get some sort of positive feedback like that, a positive statement of like that, and they're probably unconsciously nodding at you, that it's usually a, a, a opportunity to, instead of close, to simply transition to saying, hey, do you want me to explain how you could use this? Or do you want me to explain how we could work together? Or one of my favorites ways to quote close, and I always put that in quotes because with, <laughs> with sort of a doom and gloom voice. Uh, but I like the idea of just saying, you know, Trisha, I think this would be great for you, or I would love to work with you. How do you feel about working with me? And, and so I'm using some psychology there because if I say, I really want to work with you, how do you feel about working with me? You, even if reluctantly, go, oh, yeah, I guess I feel good about working with you too, right? <laughs> but ideally, most of the time, people go, no, yeah, I feel great about working with you too. Okay, terrific. Well, mm -hmm. in that moment, we've just said we want to work together. And so then I can, again, lead it and say, okay, the ways we can do that is two ways. And so I'm just trying to have a conversation now. And I like the idea that leaders in a, in a selling situation pick the customer. Why does the customer always have to pick you and then pick the product and I found it way easier that if I can pick people or say, you'd be an awesome customer for us. The people are like, there's much wanting to hear that because they presume you're the expert. And I think, you know, if you and I went into a Best Buy right now to buy a television, having the guy who's the TV expert say to us, you know, Marty, Trisha, the best TV for you guys is going to be this big Sony. Now, of course, I'm a guy, so it's going to be like the 78 inch giant monster <laughs> TV Sony. And you know, you guys would be great for this. This is, and we would listen to that. And he's effectively picked us and told us what product. And we'd be like, okay, 
all right, well, that, you know, we could look at each other and nod. And one of us would for sure would be nodding unconsciously and be like, yeah, okay, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, okay, sure, we'll take it. But we don't realize that what's just happened is he's made it easy for us to say yes, because he's really picked us and given us some product recommendation. And, and I was like Best Buy because they're not on commission. So whether you buy it or not, it's not affecting that guy's income. So I don't know he's not, there's no ulterior motive. But that's a good example to me of, you know, people, we have good transactions all the time where we walk out with a product or a service, a piece of clothing, a big TV, whatever it might be. And we feel great about it. And you're like, well, do they have to close you? Do they have to hold you down and drag you to the till or to the cashier? No, no, I just picked it up and walked over and said, this is great. And I bought it. Hmm. Interesting. So funny, I bring this back to sort of nonprofit sometimes where it's, listen, making a profit is bad. Selling is bad. And if you lead into that, it really hampers your ability to build a healthy ecosystem of supporters, community, clients. Because um, I, I want to know that what you're building is uh, not only impacting, but it's something I want to get involved in, that it's going to be fun and dynamic and um, innovative. And and you, if you're feeling bad about selling it, about standing on your soapbox, about building community, it's inevitably... Yeah, you're almost fighting against yourself, right? It doesn't, the way you're approaching it doesn't line up with your end goals. How do you help leaders who are in an organization with um, team members around them who are resistant, especially in the impact world, they're resistant to the, the you know, traditional idea of selling. What kind of tips do you have for leaders in terms of training, sales training for their team members to help get out of that mindset? That's a great question. Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is, and, and I love playing this game with people, but is to just get the honest conversation going about how do we really feel about selling? And because so often uh, as a leader, you come in and you presume that everybody's okay with it. And then you start to talk about, and so so often with a lot of business owners, and I think you know this, you can't start moving from what you think is ground zero when you really haven't defined what ground zero is. So in selling, I like to get, I think any leader can say, let's have an honest conversation. How many people love selling? How many people are okay with it? How many people would rather, you know, poke themselves in the eye? How many people <laughs> like any getting, and, and, and so one of my favorite uh, exercises is to say, you know, okay, clear your mind and as, and answer this question, what three things come to mind when I say salesperson? And getting people to record that, you know, like whether they write it down or they just hold it in their mind, but sharing that, okay, what are the three things you thought of as when we said salesperson? That oftentimes, instantly, you know, if it's like um, reputable, trustworthy, hardworking, it's like, okay, there's a connotation there of the sales identity that's pretty good for you. If somebody else says high pressure, sleazy, and overbearing, you're like, right. So just even having the team be able to say that and start to share the fact that they're not totally comfortable in, in the selling space is okay. And the next thing I say is everybody drop the word selling. Start to use the word helping. How are we going to help customers? How are we going to help our prospective customers? How can we help people with our product? But all of a sudden, if everybody's in the mindset of like, how do we help? They start coming up with solutions that sound a lot like selling except now they're more apt to do it. They're more open to it. Hmm. So if I say, you know, if there was a product or service, like here's an example there, if let's say you're at the children's hospital and the children's hospital is having a big lottery. And so I said, Hey, Trisha, you and I are going to go door to door and sell lottery tickets. 
Well, the idea of like, okay, is your emphasis, if, if I really focus on, Trisha, we're going to sell lottery tickets. We're going to get to the front door. We're going to do our pitch. Then we're going to try and close them on lottery tickets. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to push to sell the lottery tickets. You come away and you're like, I don't know if I want to do this. If I say, Trisha, the children's hospital is such an important cause. We can help a lot of kids and an unbelievable organization. All we have to do is help people support the children's hospital. So what we're going to do is we're going to get up there. We're going to tell people the interesting story about the children's hospital. We're going to talk to them about how they can help kids and help the institution. And then we're just going to ask them if they'd be willing to support us. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I could do that. Yeah, I could talk about help. And I really do believe in the hospital. And all I'm trying to do is really I'm reframing the concept of selling so that we have a little bit different nouns, a little bit different verbs, but it really, really does create a completely different emotional response. And that's the big thing for me with selling is as soon as I get people in the space of loving it and believing that they're doing good with it, they have so much more enjoyment first off, but also again, way better results. So much more heart centered for sure. Yeah. So, okay, let's imagine that you're working with a team and they're now training from this more a mindset of heart and leadership selling and impact. Um, but how then do you translate that into goals? So you, you know, traditionally it's like you need to achieve this level for this, I don't know, bonus or whatever the case may be there. How, how do you work around the whole idea of bonuses and goals and actual numbers? Sure. So I carry that through because, you know, the traditionally you're exactly right that it's okay. So how many units do we need to sell this quarter? Mm-hmm. What's our dollar figure we need to hit? I still like the idea that there's a, even in helping, you know, so how many people are we looking? So if we were in the nonprofit space and maybe it's a case of how many families can you support in a quarter, I then set the goals based on not the dollar figure, but based on starting with, okay, how many people are we trying to help? right? How many people are we going to help with our products? So how many subscriptions do we need? How many people do we want to do sponsorship? How many? um, And so I figure out what that human goal is. And then I say, okay, well, if we wanted to support 10 families and each family to support them for the year is $10,000, then we know our dollar figure associated with that helping goal is going to be, you know, 10 families times $10,000. It's $100,000 for this quarter. Okay. So now let's talk about how many people we need to introduce this idea to. And again, I don't sell the idea. I introduce the idea to people so that they can start to be like, oh, okay, so I've got to talk to 20 different groups or I've got to make, and they can, we still work through a similar, like all the sales metrics, because there's always that, even in my example of you and me selling lottery tickets for the children's hospital door to door, there's still some math of like, not everybody's going to want to support it. Maybe it doesn't speak to them. They just don't have the cash. Who knows what it's going to be? So maybe for every person that buys, I know that I've got to go knock on 10 doors. So I can still work through the math of that sales helping or that leadership selling. Um, but again, I, I try and reframe it that when somebody comes back to, well, the goal is, is sales dollars. I'm like, well, that's part of the goal, but what's the sales dollars facilitating? Oh, it's facilitating support for these families. Right. That's our real goal. It's broadening our community. So even, you know, you talk about adding people on social. I mean, I'm trying to add followers. Why? Because we're building our community. It's not just so the activities of everybody on social are about heart-centered goals or objectives that most people really get behind mentally and and, uh, emotionally. And then they don't mind doing the work. And Mm -hmm. so I think to me, it's a little bit like 
reminding them of the end goal, I guess no different than if you and I went to a personal trainer and in the middle, I've got to have the personal trainer bring me back to remember how strong you're going to be at the end of this. Remember how skinny you're going to be, you know, that suit jacket or the pair of jeans or whatever it is you're going to fit into. Right. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, right. So as I get caught up in the activity or sort of maybe a metric I'm, I shouldn't worry too much about, I find leadership selling is a lot about always bringing people involved in the selling process back to why are we doing this? And you use metrics and numbers that are more related to the heart aspect of it or the people aspect of it. Hmm. So many good tips. What about resiliency in selling? So, you know, you're, you're out there, you're, you're selling the product in combination with the mission, heart-centered, um, and you crickets, you don't hear anything. Like the whole idea of you have to hit people over the head seven times, like what's your approach to that and that the resiliency that's required? That's a great question. I mean, I, I love, I, I love slash hate when people are always like, you know, you just got to kind of suck it up or it's the grind mm. or they talk about like as though it's just this painful exercise. And to me, that again is sort of, it's sort of old school, right? Now, in fairness, if I talk to 10 people and people kind of shrug their shoulders and go, hmm, yeah, no, thanks. Or they just politely walk away. I know that maybe there's something I'm saying here that isn't that compelling. Mm. Um, so I think there is some realism to Am I getting the reaction I want from people? Because I really believe in this. And why am I not getting the same reaction? Sometimes it's in the way we're presenting, uh, you know, again, our, our, our product, our offering, our business. Um, but I, again, go back to the idea that really to make a big impact, I just have to be able to reframe that. And so the resilience piece for me and the way I reframe that is that people are really busy with their lives. Because this has been my experience in selling a lot of product or service. When you actually ask people after, they go, it's not that I'm not interested. I just don't have time right now. Hmm. And so I, I use the example, maybe if I phoned you right now on your cell phone and you can imagine. So literally, if I called right now, you'd be like, Marty, hey, listen, um, I, yeah, no, I, this is great. I just can't talk right now. I, I'm in the middle of something. I got to go. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Call me back. Okay. Click. Most people, when they're in selling mode, old school selling say, oh, see, they're not interested. They didn't, she didn't want to talk to you. And they make up a story that tends to be negative, again, connected to selling is ugly, selling is bad, selling is high pressure. My experience is most of the time what happens, even if I have a good conversation, is that it's not that you don't want to talk to me. You're just really busy at the moment. And so oftentimes that persistence or resilience is me just recognizing Trisha's busy. She has kids. She has a podcast. She has a business. She's doing keynotes. I mean, she is so, you know, up to her eyeballs and all the other aspects of her life. Maybe occasionally she's even squeezing in time to drink wine. And maybe, maybe. So, uh, <laughs> but I love that if, if I'm just honest about that as my story, then I don't mind phoning you back and saying, Trisha, hey, maybe I caught you at a bad time. When's a better time to talk about this? I'm excited to be able to share this story with you. And so I find the persistence for me in reframing it and recognizing most people have said, no, I'm glad to have the conversation. I'm just up to my eyeballs in my work right now. Um, listen, I can't this weekend because soccer starts. I've got to clean up the backyard. We're doing this. And I go, oh, so knowing that is the case. And even when I have a really good, you and I have a great chat now about um, impact selling. And you say, yep, Marty, this is absolutely something I want to pursue. I realize also that the second we hang up our Zoom call or our phone call, that you get sucked back into the rest of your life. So I think most people have had this experience where 
you have a great chat with somebody about who knows what, could be anything. You could be chatting with a girlfriend or I'm chatting with a buddy or maybe it's something business related. And somebody says, yeah, we should totally do that. And then it goes radio silence for like two weeks. And by the second week, you're like, oh, yeah, she didn't want to even talk about it. And I'm saying like, oh, they said they wanted to buy my product, but clearly they didn't. And I'm telling the story about how they lied and they were disinterested. And, and then they phone back two weeks later and they go, hey, Trisha, I'm so sorry. Listen, you know, my father-in-law had a heart attack and this, and it's been so busy. And then the kids were on lockdown and, oh, and you realize, oh, right, this actually has nothing to do with me. The, what happened was their whole life was catching up with them. And there was all sorts of things outside of me. And maybe in the grand scheme of things, our conversation wasn't that important, or it was just something that needed to get shelved. So I find that people in sales, again, start to make up a story where most of the time, if people don't want to buy it, they'll just say, you know what, I just don't think that's for me. But I like to carry it through. And so I'm persistent or consistent in following up. Because I know that if somebody has said, yeah, hey, I'm interested in having the conversation, that they really are. I actually spoke to a guy yesterday who's a past client and now becoming a client, an active client again. And I have been pursuing a phone call with him or a Zoom call with him for six months. And yesterday, the first thing he said is, man, I just got to say thank you. I was like, for what? <laughs> Weird. I bet we're only on this call for four seconds. You're already thanking me. <laughs> and he goes, for being persistent. He goes, you know what? I just... I know I kept putting it off. I'm drowning over here in the business. It's been chaos. So I'm sorry, but thank you because I really, I know how important this conversation is. And it just reaffirms for me. I was like, right. I could have been telling that story of like, well, there's no point bugging him. I don't want to be pressuring him. But in fact, he needed one of us to stay with the conversation. And so resilience for me is that from a good place of, I know this is important to him and it's important to me. So I'm going to try and keep that conversation going. Even if there's gaps where it's like, can we, can we pursue this in six weeks? Sure. So I'm, I'm, uh, persistence is probably something that I incorporate into a lot of my career as an entrepreneur and a salesperson. That's been really, really helpful. And the number of times people have been like, Oh, thank God you stuck with that. Right. Mm. Especially when they get into like one of our programs, oftentimes they're like, Oh man, we should have done this six months ago. And I'm like, right, that's why I started hounding you six months ago. See, now I just switched to word hounding, which has got that negative connotation. So I just, pursuing is a better way to say it. Hmm. Exploring. Exploring, yeah. I like that one too. I think that's such an important point that we do create stories uh, without all the information that often is like that negative self-talk. So that's a, that's a powerful uh, resiliency tip there. And I love how you say all this with such a calm demeanor. That's why I like listening to you uh, in your training because it's like, it's just so um, relaxed. It's like, okay, well, that makes me feel like, okay, well, anyone can do this because of the approach you have for us. I really appreciate that. So you're referring to like the long game, basically, when you're talking about um, that resiliency side of things where you're not creating stories and you're um, leaving room for people because they probably need it at that moment. Uh, is there any other long game tips for people who are, you know, they're in this all the way. They, they want to create success out of it. Actually, um, yeah. And I think you probably know this from dealing with business leaders and people too, that it's so easy to get bogged down in the day to day and to lose mm -hmm. sight of like, why are we doing all this? And so I have found, and particularly with COVID, um, having Zoom fatigue and COVID fatigue and children homeschooling fatigue and all these different fatigues, uh, that what I had to do is really have a practice of bringing myself back to, 
okay, not only uh, like, what are my goals? What am I building here? And reviewing that and reminding myself. And so the same way I've said with clients, a lot of them have been struggling with inspiration. Like I've lost all track of, you know, inspiration. And I was saying to people, well, what inspires you? Travel. I was like, all right, well, I want you to take some breaks and like go to a travel website, go check out the Ritz Carlton website and check out all the hotels that you could be staying at next, mm-hmm. right? Start to set aside some money in a travel account that you're like, at least I'm not traveling, but I'm saving cash for it when I do. But coming back to finding some inspiration and for me in business uh, or in any organization is to be like, okay, what are we building here? And it's usually not a top line revenue number. It is an impact number. Like we are trying to impact people all over, you know, this city or this state or, you know, this country or globally. Um, we're trying to impact people in this group. I always find that getting grounded again in, in the why are we doing this is really, really helpful to then come back to the day to day and be more inspired, but also be able to inspire the people in the organization. Because inevitably, and I think we've all seen it, that people around us, you know, have really been experiencing fatigue of a lot of different types and have needed somebody in their corner to be like, let's get back to why we're doing this and let's have some fun with it. And and being able, you can't lift people up around you if you're not finding that centered place of why, of what inspires you. I think those things for me have really just lifted my energy and allowed me to have some of that resilience and, and upbeatness where, um, but people go, oh, well, you're just naturally upbeat. I'm like, no, I'm working at this, right? It is a mm. practice. It is sometimes meditation. It is, I have a, uh, people might call it like a vision board, but I have like a little scrapbook, my vision scrapbook. And uh, I even set up a Pinterest board so that it's Ooh. got all the places I like to travel because there's so many pictures on Pinterest. So if I'm like, oh, I'm feeling sluggish, I'm going to go look at the Italian coastline and a couple other places and then be like, ah, oh, that feels better. And then from <laughs> that place, now I can go back to work and, and uh, play the long game. Oh, nice. I'll, you know, I'll connect you with my family in Italy and they will feed you and feed you and it'll just be a beautiful, beautiful. Please tell me they're on the Amalfi Coast. Um, unfortunately, no. Oh. But, um, that would have worked out really great. It would. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk the mechanics of selling. You mentioned this in your book, actually, a little bit about like what is the proven and profitable sales methods in order of importance, and at the very bottom of the list is email, which I I know a lot of people listening right now is kind of their primary source of hey, let me tell you about. Uh, okay, so help us out with the mechanics. What how, what do you suggest and how do we get past our fears of moving beyond email? Ooh, yeah. Because <laughs> you know what I love? And and uh, I deal with so many people. Uh, there's a, there's sort of a group that I um, coach and uh, help on Thursday mornings. And so many of them, you give them a whole list of tactics they can do to promote their business and promote themselves. And they always start with ones that are like one step removed. I'm going to get some strategic alliances to go talk for me. Mm. You know, they'll represent me. And I'm like, what could you be doing? They're like, well, I could get more strategic alliances. I was like, no, <laughs> no, that would be one step removed from actually getting to your community or your market. Um, I like the idea. I always say that nobody, with the exception of Amazon, right, where we go online, but we already have an idea. There's there's a low risk factor with Amazon. We know what a book looks like. If Amazon happens to steal the book, it's 29 bucks. But we also have credibility and trust with Amazon because it's sort of got to that place where it's ubiquitous with online sales. And so it's like, well, I just bought it off Amazon, right? It's totally trusted. There was other customer reviews. So there's no risk in that. 
But in most other things where people are buying it for the first time, I'm not sure about it. I don't know your organization. I don't really know you. The only way I'm going to buy that, a product or service from you, is going to be if uh, uh, we have a conversation that I get to realize, okay, so you don't seem like an axe murderer. Okay, so maybe I trust this person enough. And then I'm going to hear about the product or service. And But there's, an, there's a human component in that interaction that has to take place. And it's really based around trust. And so people saying, well, I'm going to send an email. I don't know about you, but based on emails, you know, at this point, I, I've had a couple of massive inheritances from around the world. All I had to do was give them my bank information to be able to collect all the money. <laughs> I, I've been told I'm part of a royal family in a country I've never heard of. Um, I, you know, I've had a number of other offers where somebody ransomware is going to ransomware me, uh, you know, and I'm like, I see through all the email. So it's sort of a dirty place where if I don't know you, I don't really trust email. Now, if somebody even reaches out on the phone and sometimes, again, the scripting of it is, hey, Trisha, I, I, may, I don't know if we have anything to talk about, but that's why I'm calling today. Do you have two minutes? Right? I can do it in a, in a really unsalesy kind of way. I don't have to start in like the telemarketer. Uh, you know, because if I was a telemarketer, I'd never I'd inevitably mispronounce your last name. Trisha Middemore? Yes, I'm calling from the, and I would just launch into it. And you're like, this isn't a conversation. But I, I prioritize it as face-to-face. -face. Then if I'm on the phone, I like that because, as you know, there's so much of communication that is uh, still voice tonality. And, you know, I'm moving my hands and people can see those gestures, even though they can't necessarily hear them. So I pick up so much in hearing somebody's voice, like in a voicemail, it's totally way better to get a voicemail that says, thank you so much for the roses, versus an email that says, thank you so much for the roses. Mm -hmm. And so I like that it's voice and that now if I can Zoom with people instead of phone, at least I can see them. And I'm like, hi, that's what I look like. Hey, I appreciated some guy last week was like, wow, you're way older than you looked in your pictures on your website. I was like, Really? I, my little voice said, is that the way you want to start this conversation? Um, but I was like, right. Well, yeah. Hey. But it, uh, I was like, okay. He's identified me as a person though. Hmm. So I like that if I know that I have to get to a live conversation with somebody to buy my product or service, then I am always trying to shortcut that and get to that face-to-face -face conversation fast. People that are like, well, I'll send an email. If they don't respond, I'm going to send a follow-up email. And then I'm going to put them on my list and start to send them the newsletter. I'm more apt to be like, Trisha, here's what I do. Can we have a conversation? And doing that right by phone. If I can get their phone number off LinkedIn, then I'm like, great. I actually Now, if I can't do that, the next best thing is actually things like where I can message somebody personally. And I learned this from my brother who used LinkedIn to build an, uh, a global network of guys in the cycling and skiing uh, industries. And he would just reach out to the president of a company on LinkedIn, send him a direct message and say, hey, my name's Jay. Here's what I'm doing. Da, da, da. Would you have 15 minutes to talk with me? Guys were like, literally CEOs of big companies. Like, sure. Yeah. When did you want to set that up? And I was like, all you did was message him? He's like, right. But I didn't land in their inbox with a hundred other emails a day. I landed in their LinkedIn box where most people have notifications turned on. And I was probably the only personal message they got that day. And so I like that where I remember starting in business, people would say, oh, I had like 26 voicemails today. Now nobody has voicemail. Their mm -hmm. inbox is bombarded. And they're like, yeah, I got 212 emails today. And I got, oh, no phone calls. 
So I'm like, great. I phone and people are like, what is that ringing noise? Yeah, pretty much, what right? The <laughs> I'm gonna, they pick it up. They're like, hello? I'm like, hi. And they have a conversation because it's almost like, are you a real human? Yeah. Well, this is unbelievable. What do you want to talk about? I actually have found that in the year, in the age of COVID and the last few years even before, people are starved to talk. That if I can get them on the phone and even just leave an upbeat, happy voicemail, that people are pretty apt to call me back. Here's a tip though, Trisha, just as I think about it. If you send somebody, if you leave somebody a voicemail, send them an email as well. And what happens is psychologically between getting an email and a voicemail from you and in the email mentioned, hey, I've just left you a voicemail. Here's what it's about. It, it more than doubles the response rate of people responding to you. Now, funny enough, they don't respond by phone, but they will respond to the email. So just even if you said, well, all I'm doing is leaving voicemails and sending follow-up emails, at least people will respond to your email. Good tip. Okay. So and, do both voicemail yeah. and email. Totally. And I, and I think that's an interesting point with the voicemails. You're right. I don't get a lot of phone calls or, or and definitely don't get a lot of voicemail. This could be the strategy. I also like the idea that if you know it's compelling, because if somebody phoned and said, Trisha, you've just won $2,000. I just need you to phone me back at this number. And it was somebody, let's say it's a, a radio DJ. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, oh my God. And if your phone in that moment died, you would be running around the house or around the office or anywhere down the street trying to find somebody to say, lend me your phone. I got to make this phone call. So I would say like, if people are that desperate to try and find a phone, if you were giving away money, and yet when you leave a voicemail, they never return your call, then you probably have to make your offer or the interestingness of it uh, a little more significant because, you know, something's lost in translation. If I was giving away money or something or a free trip, you'd call me right back and nobody ever phones you back. It's like, because your voicemail is boring and you didn't tell me what was in it for me. And it didn't seem like there was any prizes or cash. So I just thought, yeah, I'll get back to you tomorrow. Hmm. So do you suggest offering prizes in cash? Is that a good strategy? Um, I find that it, the first thing I need is enthusiasm. If I don't sound like I'm excited about the product and this is going to be a fun conversation, then nobody calls me back. Um, but I do like to be able to say like, hey, there's three things I want to talk to you about. This is why this is going to be exciting. So I'll tell them this is why this is going to be a great conversation. Or if I know what they're interested in, I'll say. So I learned this in selling software. If I phone people to just say, Hey, it's Marty calling, you know, can you call me back? Nobody called me back. And then I started to be like, okay, I had to be able to tell them why was now a good time to call me back. So I used to have to make up things about the software, a new feature, um, a new release coming out, something they had asked for that we've now put in the product, special pricing. Um, I mean, whatever I could think of. And I would have to play with all those different things as sort of little offers or hooks or pieces of interest. And I would find sometimes I'd be like, you'd get phone calls back. But in being persistent or resilient, I'm having fun with that a little bit to be like, okay. And sometimes my favorite is the element of, you know, Trisha, you haven't phoned me back. I've left you six messages. Clearly you're trapped under something heavy and can't get back to the phone. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, that would be more compelling for somebody to call you back and be like, I'm sorry. I don't mind guilting them a little bit, but I do it from a place of I'm having fun with this. And most mm. people do it from a place of uh, Trisha, yeah, I've called like six times and you haven't phoned me back. Like, oh yeah, now I want to return that call. Yeah. Right? So. No. I, just just as you're talking about this and, yeah. you know, facetiously, the whole cash and prizes thing, I actually think 
with the impact world that we could be, because we're building so much community, obviously, actually any organization, perhaps it could be an invitation to an online event or a webinar or something that you've chosen them for that then they would respond more to the email that you follow up with because it could be a link they're already kind of predisposed to be thinking of. Yeah, that's totally true. And I like if the invitation is something like that where they're going to get information or be able to participate in something. Mm. It's a kind of an exclusive invitation. Mm -hmm. I had a good learning. My friend Dom in Vancouver had uh, put together 50 companies that he really wanted to work with. And he phoned and said, listen, I put together a f uh, an exclusive list of 50 organizations uh, and you're one of them. And he said the number of presidents and CEOs that were like, really, you picked us? Well, 50. Well, who, was that? who else was on the list? And he was like, well, I don't want to get sidetracked by the list. The reason I'm calling, they're like, yeah, yeah, but how did you go about creating the list? Like, <laughs> it was almost like you're one of 50 people who's just won this award. And they were like, well, tell me more about this. And it, But it pointed out that everybody loves to be part of an exclusive club or feel like a bit of a VIP. And so I think if I invite people to things, I, I let them know that, listen, you're specifically in an industry we're targeting. You're one of a few people that we're doing this for. I make it you know, in my language, I try and make them understand, like, this isn't something we're offering to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I found even that helps. Wow. There's been so many good tips in here. How do people find your book if they wanted to get Tiger by the Tail? Where should they go? Uh, they can go to um, the, the book website. The book itself has a website. It's called uh, tigerbythetailbook.com. Okay. Or they can just search Tiger by the Tail on Amazon or Marty Park on Amazon. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I really do recommend it. Um, I am a big lover of small chapters, the easy reads and whatnot. So when I say it's an easy read, it's not that the information is just, you know, infantile or anything like that. It's really amazing tips, but easy to consume in our busy lives. So I really appreciated how you formatted the book for crazy busy people like we all That's are. That's right. You yeah. have just enough. Yeah. I've had a number of people say, you know, these chapters are the perfect length to read. And I was like, just don't even finish that sentence. I don't want to. I don't want to know where you're sitting when you're reading. <laughs> right? Now we don't think about that at all. Yeah. <laughs> so as we kind of wrap this all up, and again, thank you for your time because I think the art of selling is so important in every organization, and I, I do feel that uh, in impact-based organizations, the pendulum tends to swing too far to like this is all about our mission, and we kind of forget that we actually have to, you know, we have to put the sales through as well. Um, however that looks to that organization. But any other final tips that have come to mind that like this this would be impactful? Don't forget this. Um, you know, the thing that comes just based on what you said there, that people get caught up in here's our mission and here's what we want to do and here, and, and it's all intention. And my big thing is if you really want to make impact, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to go out and 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 get out of the comfort zone and be able to say, okay, everybody in the organization has the chance to be an ambassador or a uh, messenger. And okay, well, that means we need to get out. You can't do that from behind email, from behind the desk. It's like, let's get out in the community. Let's. And so there's a boldness there. And I realize that actually it's very courageous. But to me, getting into, well, the goal of the metrics again, of sort of selling where it's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go talk to 10 people this week. Well, that's taking action. And that to me is what really creates impact in the organization, but then allows you to, again, build that ecosystem. I mean, there isn't any organization that's built a following or a community or a customer base that hasn't at some point said, we need to get out on the streets, on the phones, um, over Zoom, like we need to be out doing it. And mm. so I'm a big fan of you got to take action. Uh, just 
getting up in the morning and being in a good heart-centered place doesn't do a lot. Good tips. Now, I also know you have a online program called The Art of Selling. Where would an individual go to find that? Uh, yeah, The Art and Science of Selling. Um, and actually off our website, uh, evolvebusinessgroup.com, uh, you can find that. It's uh, We host it off uh, an online learning platform and it's uh, got uh, video sessions and worksheets and follow-up. And anyway, it's just all of the ideas and all the experience I've had. And we work through uh, sort of eight modules uh, that really, I think, can be pretty transformative for most people who either fear sales or just want to develop a better process that they can really embrace and use. Very cool. So the art and science of selling at evolvebusinessgroup.com. Marty, thank you for your time and your expertise and your just calmness around the whole selling topic and all your tips. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. It's so nice to chat with you, Tricia. Passion for Impact is sponsored by the Inspire Store. Need a gift that inspires? Inspire Store features exclusive ethically made goods and jewelry that embodies these three words. Yes, you can. Every purchase supports Food Banks Canada. Plus, you will receive Trisha Miltimore's popular personal development Shift Up e-course. Empowerment awaits you. Shop with impact at inspirestore.org. If you love learning how to live and lead in a conscious and fulfilling way, and you find this show inspiring, please do share it with your friends. Rate and review this podcast. It really does make a difference. Thank you for listening. Remember, cast your vote, make your impact, work on that life balance bounce, and do it all one socially conscious choice at a time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Passion for Impact podcast. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe for episode notes, links and special offers from show guests. Cast your vote. Make your impact. One socially conscious choice at a time.